Greetings. Once again, I'm Jimbo. And I'm Mixter. And welcome to episode 11 of Songs You Should Know, devoted at this time to Joe Cocker. This episode goes to 11. <laughs> We're coming to you from the Songs You Should Know World Headquarters, located in a secret bunker in central Minnesota, and from our satellite office in Branson, Missouri. For security reasons, we can't tell you exactly where the World Headquarters is located in central Minnesota, namely for the protection of our priceless vault of classic music. But we can tell you that you can see Lake Wobegon from here. Oh, and I should give you an update. They have started construction of a, a new wing in the underground vault. Well, that's because it grows every day as more yeah. more songs are released into the... Uh... We, we pretty much constantly have uh, have work going on here. But um, All right. So... Let's get it. What would you do if I said had a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Let me your ears and I'll sing you a song. Man, that whole Mad Dogs and Englishmen period, he had a run. Let me tell you. He had it going on. That's for sure. He did. <laughs> you know, the, it's funny, you know, so many of the artists that we cover, there's a period in their lives, whether it's Elvis or Chuck Berry or anybody, there's a period where they are the coolest thing going. And uh, Joe had his his period there, man. Yeah, that's 15 minutes of fame <laughs> and, well, and more. And more. And then came came back for a second act, which we'll talk about in a second year, too. Absolutely. But uh yeah. So Joe was actually born John Robert Cocker. So uh you know it so Joe isn't isn't short for Joseph or anything like that. It, he was a John. But uh no jokes there. Anyway. <laughs> so according to family stories, he received his nickname Joe either from playing a childhood game called Cowboy Joe or from a local window cleaner named Joe. And it could be a combination of the two. And um, boy. Yeah. <laughs> There's things you that know, you don't hear in a sentence next to each other. You know. Cowboy, yeah. Cowboy Joe and the window cleaner. <laughs> and you know how accurate families are about keeping track of this stuff, you know, when you go back and talk to them later. But, uh, um, and his main musical influences growing up were Ray Charles, which you can obviously see. I mean, you can see a lot of that. But then Lonnie, Lonnie Donegan, and we've heard his name before, and, and if, you know, if you haven't, then uh, it comes up all the time in the early history of, of the British invasion stuff, you know, the Beatles, that whole skiffle sound that came around for a while. Lonnie Donegan was a big skiffle guy. Wow. So, and uh, I, I did say that, 
Joe had a second act to his career. And um, part of that second act began with this. You know what this is, right? You are so beautiful. Do you remember all the words? Probably. Uh, you are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? Uh, repeat the first verse. You are so beautiful. That one, that one ranks up there with feelings as one of the song, songs with the fewest words to it. But uh, yeah. although, I, I, although I would say this is definitely several cuts above that in in artistry. But uh, in what year was and that? Then of course, was, was that later in his career? Yeah, it was. It was like his second career. Um, was it in the eighties, was, was that released? It was, it, that, yeah, we're just hitting early eighties there. And also in the early eighties, of course, we have the movie uh, Officer and a Gentleman. You remember oh, yeah. that? Well, I, oh, yeah. I, I quote that movie every day. <laughs> well, and and uh, we have a very young Richard Gere, um, you know, show up in that. And uh, was it Deborah Winger? Was she yep. the absolutely? She was there. Yep. So, and then of course, um, Cocker and Jennifer Warrens get together. Uh, yes, Lou Gossett was in there, and Jennifer Warrens and and uh, Joe get together, and they do the soundtrack for that, and. Bam! They just have just one of those mega huge hits. So here we're in, you know, the the second the second uh, career that Joe had. And then he actually went on and, and did, he, he sort of had echoes of this career where he would show up on soundtracks and on various things. But uh, there's a song that was written originally by Randy Newman yeah. that then Joe came out with, and it became a very well-known uh, uh, stripper song. Yes. <laughs> And uh, and Tom Jones was really known for it on the soundtrack of the Full Monty. But before then, there was the Joe Cocker version, which I had the pleasure and have have had the pleasure of singing several times with the big band that I that I play with. But. Uh... I'm going to let it play into the uh, the title part here.
So yeah, that was featured in the 1986 film Nine and a Half Weeks. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that, but I've uh, seen parts of it. I guess I don't remember yeah, that. There's a, there's a strip strip tease scene in there, which of course is where the song really became known as a strip tease song. And uh, if you've ever heard the original Randy Newman, which I did not dig up for this because I have a different surprise for you, but the original Randy Newman one is just twisted. Um, you're you're like you're not sure if you're not sure if you should take him seriously or not, or if he's being straight with you, which is typical Randy Newman, it's Randy of course. Newman. But, uh, in fact, uh, one of the most recent uh, Rolling Stone issues, probably, I think it's the one prior to right now. But anyway, people listening to this, you won't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there is a Rolling Stone issue from uh, 2017 that does feature a pretty extended article on Randy Newman talking about some of his different songs. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you're you're just not sure with you can leave your hat on how far his tongue was in his cheek. <laughs> like but sure. I do have a surprise for you, and I want you to I tell me. In, I see that in my notes, and people can't see that, but I can see my notes. Yes, and, <laughs> and it's this, a this surprise is one, for Mick. This is one of those things you might know, or you won't know. But then once I tell you, you're going to go really. So, Bring it on. All right, here it goes. I've never heard it. <laughs> All right, I won't. I won't torture us anymore. But okay, tell me who that no, is. No, no, it's so Keith did that. No. Okay, dang it, I'm you're, wrong. You're you're close, but you're wrong. Oh, uh, Bob Dylan. No. Yeah, let's see. What other Stone? Oh, would have done that. Ronnie. Nope. Who else did solo, solo albums? Bill Wyman. Who else? Bill Wyman. Who, who's that singing? Is, is that Billy singing? <laughs> that's Bill Wyman, yes. Well, he, he must have been caught in between his Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood fit. <laughs> that's not a I monkey. Thought, I think the only one I have is, I don't have yeah, Stone Alone. I have Monkey, or I had Monkey Yeah, grip, Monkey Grip. Do you, well, Stone Alone is his autobiography. Do you have Monkey Grip, um, by chance? Yes, I, I have your copy. It's in the vault. Perfect. Come on. There we go. Come it's community, on. Pro- it's community <laughs> property. I just, I just didn't, know who was, <laughs> I didn't know who signed it out. It's like a library card. <laughs> and it's not on that. I'm not even sure where that came from. But yes, that's Bill Wyman doing uh, a... <laughs> you can leave your ad on. <laughs> in in full disco mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great program he's got going on there, Billy. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, then we might as well kick back into uh, where, we, where we actually started here. So. <laughs> what would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Let me old ears and I'll sing you a song I will try not to sing out of key Oh baby, have you back 
And of course, who originally did that song or wrote that song? The Beatles with Ringo yes. at the helm. And it's it's funny, I've played this song before too live, but and it's a total different feel. And Joe Joe was was in this zone where he could just reinterpret almost anything. And um now that's a that's a live recording there, but the studio version, interest, interestingly enough. <laughs> yeah, I see this coming up on my notes here. Yeah, so tell me wow. who played who tell well, me tell me who played lead guitar. Uh, apparently, the recording features Jimmy Page. Uh, it does, um, and drumming by B.J. Wilson, and he's from Procore Harem, so that's no uh, slouch. And uh, backing vocals are from Sue and Sonny. Uh, Tommy, we'll say Erie on Oregon. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, Jimmy Page, which, and Jimmy was, Jimmy was well known as a session, session player before, um, before his Yardbirds and, uh, and Led Zeppelin days. But, um, and Led Zeppelin was originally going to be a new, a new edition of the Yardbirds yet again, which was sort of a training ground for lead guitar players, obviously between Clap, Clapton and Beck and Page and, you know, um, and so the newest project that was going to become the the, the next Yardbirds was it Keith Moon who said it would go over like a lead balloon? That sounds about right. I think he's the yeah. one that, that coined that <laughs> which, phrase. So, which is where the name Led Zeppelin yeah. came from. So yeah. Um, so yes, in 1968, the song reaches number one in the UK, and it's it was pretty well known for his version at Woodstock. Um, and the Isle of Wight Festival. He later did it for Queen Elizabeth II. Wow. So he actually sang that song for the Queen. And, and then, of course, of course, you know, yes. if you ever if you ever had a soft spot for Winnie. Oof, I still do. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and Winnie still looks really nice. She, she does. And, and she's, she's very... I Googled her. I didn't stalk her. I just Googled her. <laughs> And she's very she's very intelligent too. Yeah. She's oh yeah, she's got a PhD. Uh, yeah, she's she did very well. She's smart and hot. <laughs> That's why she has nothing to do with me. That could explain the restraining order. <laughs> so, but so yeah, it was used as the the theme song for uh, the Wonder Years. But um, yeah, and I don't think there's too much to go into lyrically on it. You know, get by with a little help from my friends. I mean, the title does say it. But I think it was um, it was interesting when Ringo did it because. People read into it, you know. Okay, I'm the I'm the happy go lucky drummer that sits back here, and right. and then and then we've got you know Ringo Paul, we've got uh, John Paul and and George sitting around me writing all this stuff. So um, so I think there was a layer of sort of irony there, but also good natured. Right. Yeah, I do get by with a little help from and, my friends. But and actually, I mean, it was you know Ringo was singing it, and it was from the Beatles, and this is you know me probably hearing it like when I was 12 or 13, I still always, I read into it that a little help from my friends too. I thought maybe he could have been talking about marijuana or LSD, but that's me. Well, it was the, it was a time period it was that time. where people would read anything into anything. So, yeah, uh, because they were high. <laughs> well, uh, everything, you know, it, there's a there's a time period where it's not it's not acceptable legally to talk about certain Correct. things. So so you just 
you subvert it, you know, <laughs> you, you, you subliminate it. But, but the problem with that is that then you see subliminal messages in everything. Oh, yeah. You know, just like uh, yeah, Lucy, and this, Lucy, <laughs> yeah, Lucy and this Lucy in the Sky right. with Diamonds being LSD and and John going, what? <laughs> yeah. I wish I would have thought of that. Yeah. But why didn't he? I was too high. Dang it. So we mentioned it was the theme song to the Wonder Years. And this is a common issue. It took a while to clear the Wonder Years for DVD release because oh. the the... the 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 royalties and the, and the the rights that they had to use it on television are not the same as you have for mechanical duplication mechanical rights. In other words, if you're going to make a physical piece like a DVD, um, that's a whole separate licensing scheme. So you don't just because you used it in the episode doesn't mean you have the rights to use it on a different piece of media. You you cleared broadcast rights for it but you didn't clear mechanical duplication rights for it. And so it took a long time just, and there are shows that have had to replace music during episodes and everything, but this was the theme that plays every single time you pop an episode in. So it was a big deal to get that cleared and figure out, okay, what percentage of royalties are going to go for that? And to finally get the Wonder Years cleared to, to put out on a DVD. Yeah. Because, you know what other... Go ahead. Because now, too, I believe, because I think I've watched it on Hulu, you can stream episodes of The Wonder Years, I believe. That, that could be. I don't have Hulu. Oh, I do, I, I'm a Netflixer, but I don't do Hulu. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not that we won't take Hulu as a sponsor. We're just saying, look, we... Right. You know, if anybody's out there listening, you know. <laughs> right. we, we love you, Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not turn down a chance to uh, sample your wares. No, and uh, you know, and I am drinking a uh, tasty ice cold Coca Cola right now. So <laughs> I've got my Diet Mountain Dew here. <laughs> right. All these pro- all these product placements. <laughs> Somebody, please pay us money. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, you know what other series that I loved that. It took so it took forever to get it on DVD, and even now, what you hear on DVD wasn't what you heard broadcast in in many cases. Was W WKRP in Cincinnati? Really? Because they because they always had you know Doctor Johnny Fever was always playing you know they bits and some, pieces some, yeah. of different rock and roll songs and right. stuff. And when when it came time to try to release that on DVD. They didn't have the mechanical rights. So, and we're talking a lot of music and a lot of episodes. That's a lot of negotiating to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we're on song three. We're on negotiate song three. What? So, um, so they got rights to a lot of stuff here and there, but, but I guess, you know, the WKRP in, in Cincinnati, you know, episodes that you see on DVD, um, they have replaced music here and there with, with other songs or with instrumental things or stuff that was written specifically yeah. to fill in for that. You know. So. Well, and I used to wonder because not to get off track, but I'm a huge and still am a Be- Beavis and Butthead fan. And so when the episodes came out on DVD, they didn't show any of the videos. And that was some of the funniest parts. Sure. Yep. Because 
you know, because they would make fun of Winger. I still love that, but um, yep. you know, they make fun of everybody. But <laughs> even Alice yeah. Cooper, you know, he, yeah. he's, he's stupid, but stupid. He's, he's stupid. <laughs> but so yeah, um, let's go with, with a little help from my yeah, friends. Came out, uh, well, with a little help from my friends, he put out on his second album, Joe Cocker. So that's when that came out, and. McCartney and Harrison were impressed enough that they allowed Cocker to use She Came In Through the yeah. Bathroom Window. Which I've heard, and I love that version, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, something, also. Which I, I don't know if I've... I'm sure you, you've heard that. I don't think I've heard that version. It's in the vault, but I did not pull it out right. for this. But, uh, yeah, it's going in the it, new wing of the vault. <laughs> and one of the differences between playing the original Beatles version, which, I, like I said, I've played as a musician, and... This version, with a little help from my friends, is, and it's kind of subtle, and if you're not really listening for it or musically inclined, you don't notice it. He changed it from the original 4-4 time to 3-4 time. It's basically a waltz. Yeah, I guess, which I didn't, well, I guess I noticed, you know, the great difference, but. So it's a 1-2-3, you know, and that was part of his changing the feel of the song, and that was. That was pretty, pretty much. His, uh, it suits his phrasing and his. I mean, it right. it gives it a different feel for sure. And uh, when Cocker died in 2014, so just a few years ago, here he was. He was 70. Paul McCartney issued this statement. It was just mind blowing. Joe's version of the song totally turned the song into a soul anthem, and I was forever grateful to, for him for having done that. And uh, you know Paul McCartney is a total class act, and still out touring. So yeah, he's out right now. So tell me about the Jackson Five version. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to dig. I'm gonna have to dig this up. <laughs> uh, and was, and Michael Michael's not even on that version. It's just, <laughs> so the Jackson it's the Four. <laughs> <laughs> so it was recorded in '71, so still early in their career, I guess, by the Jackson Five. Uh, Along with the uh, the lead vocals were by Jermaine Marlin. Oh, well, I guess Mike, Michael okay, is on there. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Sorry, Michael. Uh, Michael and Jackie. And then they uh, later recorded the song again uh, with Diana Ross. Uh, Wade Marcus. Oof. Is it's it? Maceo. 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 Parker, uh, which is uh, James Brown, Parliament Funk, and Prince on sax. So yes, Maceo is a legend. Um, um, yeah, you can. There are some Prince recordings where he's like, you know, get down on it, Maceo. He's just, yep. So anyway, yeah, uh, Maceo Maceo got around, and and he was just legendary on a lot of recordings. But uh, hey, I think it's time we take a short break. A word from How our sponsors. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Let me your ears and I'll sing you a song. I will try not to sing out of key. Yeah. Oh, baby, how you 
The letter. Um, once again, you know, and Joe, Joe is one of those artists that was an interpreter. Okay, so he didn't he didn't write his own stuff. He found other things to interpret, and uh, in this case, he you know he made this his own. Yeah, he did. Um, and and so, <laughs> before we talk about the crazy tour that he went on, I have to tell you this story. So. I've been fortunate enough that I, I sing this song. I've, you know, this past summer I sung it at a couple of big outdoor venues and with the big band, and and uh, I love singing this song. I love this song. But anyway, one day I'm in the local grocery store, and I'm I'm literally in like the vegetable section. Okay, I'm going through, you know, lettuce and cucumbers and stuff, and, and looking at peppers, looking at stuff you know that we need. And uh, there's an, an older gentleman, older than me, sort of following me wherever I go. And he's looking at me. And uh, he just keeps looking at me. And I'm like getting a little uncomfortable and I'm ready to move on to another part of the store. And he says, excuse me, do I know you? <laughs> and and, uh, and I look at him, I'm like, I don't, rec- I don't recognize you. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. No, I know I know you. And uh, and I the only thing that came to mind because we, we I just done, you know, a few outdoor gigs, I said music. And he stops and he goes, "Mad dogs and Englishmen." <laughs> which was which was Joe Cocker's tour. It's a crazy tour and the, the soundtrack includes the letter which I had sung. And he goes, his eyes got really big and he looks at me and he, and he goes, "That was awesome (laughs) (laughs) so he wasn't he wasn't some creepy dude stalking me he was just trying to figure out where have i seen you before and then so i'll always remember that mad dogs and englishmen and uh people around people around us are going uh we're sorry you know he's just not quite all there and it's like no i understand i understand what he's saying i got it that's right. See, <laughs> we don't do it for the money, people. We do it for moments like that. It's for the, the kids. moment. It is. The moment of the moment of that was so cool. Yep, and it's like <laughs> he's not going to kill me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Not <laughs> like, <woo>. yeah. <laughs> Crazy check aisle four. Dang it. No, I, I really didn't come up with a lot on, you know, the recording history and process because the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour was just sort of a wild freewheeling af- affair. Um, uh, I'm trying to think who was on piano. I, Leon um, uh, Russell was on piano for that Leon tour. Russell? Yep. Um, was on was on was on piano for that uh, that tour. And it was, you know, it was sort of, sort of like when Dylan, you know, would do a, a big thing where it's just a, a whole bunch of musicians hanging on and, and hanging you know, out, <laughs> going through night after night, putting this thing together. So even putting together a listing, you know, other than Joe and Leon is like, well, yeah, I could pull up all kinds of names depending on the night, but, um, 
So yes, so it appeared on the live album and in the film Mad Dogs and Englishmen, which is well worth the look if you get a chance to see it. But I'm going to have to. Is that on uh, any of our streaming? Partners? I have not. <laughs> I have or? no. I, I have not come up with it. I think you actually have to buy it on DVD, for for which the uh, publisher obviously paid mechanical rights. Yeah. So. I'm going to try YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know, YouTube YouTube got kind of smart about the fact that, okay, people are going to keep posting all of this stuff <laughs> that they really shouldn't. Yeah. But, but, but if it gets viewed a lot, we can go to the people that actually own the rights and we can say, we're going to put ads on those pages right. and, and we're going to give you a cut of all the ad revenue. And what has happened more and more is that a lot of the rights owners are like, okay, cool. So we didn't have to do anything and we're getting money and the clip is getting, you know, however, however many uh, million views, but we get a cut of it and we didn't even have to do anything. <laughs> so more and more and more publishers are like, huh? Okay. <laughs> now, it, in, except for like, you know, people like Prince who were like, no, no way. They want a total control over who saw their stuff when. But a lo- in a lot of other cases, it's like, no, it's just, it's uh, gravy. So, yeah. Um, right. And so it was a cover of the box tops. You've, you've heard the box tops version, the actual word. original, the original, you know, single that, uh, that was well known. And uh, again, Cocker changes the cadence and the phrasing of the song, you know, yep. because because Grungier. he turns it into sort of a bouncier, um, syncopated beat versus the straight four that it was. But uh, and the lyrical meaning, you know, hey, you know, lonely days are gone. It, the guy thought he was broken up with his girl. There was no reason to go on, and all of a sudden, it's like, listen, Mister. I've got to get back to her. You know, I don't have I don't have time to take a fast train. I've got to get on an airplane. No, an aeroplane. <laughs> aeroplane, yes. It just fit the cadence of the song. <laughs> so um Yeah, well, you can read. So yeah, I'm going to give so, you a, I'm going to I'm going to give you a test here. Go ahead and read through the trivia of the song. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is sound test one. Uh, Wayne Carson wrote the letter uh, built on an opening line suggested by his father, give me a ticket for an aeroplane. Carson included uh, the song on a demo tape to give to Chip Moman, uh, owner of American Sound Studio, Memphis, Tennessee. When the studio associate Dan Penn was looking for an opportunity to produce more songs, Moman suggested a local group, the DeVilles, who had a new lead singer, 16-year-old Alex Chilton. Penn gave the group Carson's demo tape for some songs to work up. With a little or no rehearsal, the group arrived at American Sound to record the letter. The DeVilles were renamed the Box Top, Box Tops, in the letter at only, which I didn't know, 1 minute and 58 seconds was released by Mala Records, a, a subsidiary of uh, Bell Records. The box top version was the last number one hit to be shorter than two minutes in length. So there you go. Uh, The title is never sung sung in this song. His baby writes him a letter. Yes, they never talk about the letter. No, a letter. 
my baby wrote me a letter. And I still think it's, you know, I, I remember hearing about this very early on that if you listen to the Box Tops version, you know, Joe Cocker, we expect to have a weather-worn voice and, and to have that sort of, <laughs> you know... Yeah, we'll talk about ex, that ex, ex, later. Ex, ex, later at forty <laughs> smokes a day. <laughs> well, to, to have that, to have that experience sounding voice. But I mean, you listen to the box tops version, and it sounds very experienced. The kid, it was a sixteen year old kid. Alex, Alex Chilton was sixteen when he had a hit with that song. Yeah, that's that's good genes right there. It is. Yeah. All right, we're going to take another short break. And we'll be right back. We'll be back. through at least the title phrase. <laughs> yep. I love the bouncy piano, but I've always liked the percussion in the beginning of that song. You know, the congas. Uh, it's, it's just... It's got the congas going in there. And, and uh, that's another one that uh, at one of the outdoor shows we did this summer, I actually got to sing that one too. So that was fun. And uh, it's skipping my mind right now with that... Uh, oh, that, that one thing that comes in, that... Uh, that's not a donkey jaw, right? It's it's a uh, vibra slap. There you go. Yep. That just and it, it it plays twice in the song. There are two slaps. There's one at the beginning and there's one during the piano break in the middle. Wonder but what it they is paid for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that some other percussion player just actually hit it. So must not have been now, a union. It must not have been a union recording. I guess not. So interestingly enough, who actually who actually wrote this song? Well, here we go. Which I didn't know, but I, and I'm going to have to go back now and because I actually worked with this gentleman one time. But feeling all right. Oh well, let's do this. Feeling all right? Question mark is also known as feeling all right. No question mark, which I didn't know. <laughs> so, but, but it's a song written by Dave Mason of the English rock band Traffic from their uh, eponymous. Pun- what is it? <laughs> Ep- Eponymous. <laughs> Eponymous. 
Eponymous. Yes, eponymous. 1968. Eponymous. Ah, eponymous. <laughs> That's my word of the day. Uh, 1968 album Traffic. Uh, the original, of course, had Steve Winwood singing the vocals on it. So that's right. And I didn't realize that either, that that was actually originally a Stevie Winwood song. Yeah. Who was it? Who was another guy that started out really, At really. 16 yeah. or something. Really, really. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. So he had that, not weathered voice, but he had the experienced <laughs> voice for sure. I mean. Certainly, certainly had, uh, you know, the whole, he had the blues chops anyway. Yeah. And it was, and the, opening, it was the opening song to uh, Cocker's 1969 album with a little help from my friends. Right. So yes, feeling and I think it's also on the Mad Dogs and Englishman stuff too, somewhere in there. But um, anyway, so yeah, it came out in 1969, and uh, I really don't know the the history and process of it being recorded. But I want you to go through the musicians because there's a familiar name yeah, that pops up, absolutely, and uh, a legend. But uh, so lead vocals are by Joe Cocker, guitars by David Cohen. And bass guitar is by the world-famous Carol Kay. She was just on everything. I know. Shows up all over yeah, the place. I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> Paparazzi with special guest Carol Kay. You know, like, what? <laughs> there's, always, there's always, okay, where's the hidden Carol Kay? Yeah. That's like, it's not Where's Waldo. We need to play Where's Carol Kay, you know. Uh, piano by Artie Butler. Drums by Phil Humphrey. Percussion. I'm going to let you take this one. <laughs> Boy, I, I'm not even sure I can do this. Louder de Oliveira. Yes. <laughs> Love you. I'm not going to say it again. Yeah, and we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find out if he played the vibra slap. <laughs> no, it could be. It says percussion. Yeah, it does. Backing vocals. It doesn't say drums. It says percussion. It says percussion. <laughs> uh, backing vocals by, that's, maybe it was a union gig. Uh, backing vocals by Brenda Holloway. Patrice Holloway and uh, Mary Clayton. Mary Clayton. Which I know that name, correct? <laughs> you do. <laughs> Sang with the Stones more than once. Aha! I knew, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> she, also, she, also played, she also sang with Carol Kay. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Here, here's here's something for irony for you. So the song is released in 1969. It reaches 69 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. <laughs> we may have to do a we may have to do a show on that on something that was released that year and that's as high or it, it debuted at or reached. That. Yeah, they reached the the same uh, level that that the release year was. But uh, now it was released re released. Um, Three years later, and it right. got got even higher. It got to number thirty three in nineteen. Do we know why that was? Was that because you know you would think that I would uh, actually go back and look at that? It, it must have shown up. Like, in a, okay. in a, it must have shown up in a soundtrack somewhere. That's all That's I can. I'm wondering. Was that the time of Mad Dog? No, that was. Uh, nah. No. Nope. Nope. I have. I. Don't put me on the spot here, man. No, no. It must have been on the spot. <laughs> yeah. That's been, Don't bite the hand that feeds you, Mixter. Sorry. That well, trick could, never works. I, you know, we sit here in front of the internet, and I purposely try not to look at it during a show, because yeah, I, I, I could look it up. Yeah, because then people would be on to our, our, our sneaky <laughs> little... And, I, and I'd be going, just hang on, just a second. <laughs> yeah. just, just, just a second. Please hold. Yep, yep. 
You guys just entertain yourselves for a second. I'll be right. Just, just <laughs> yeah. let me, Talk let me, click, let, me click, uh, let me click on this. Um, yeah, no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> uh, no. So under lyrical meaning, I wrote what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> well, the, 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 this is an interesting song in that the, uh, the title feeling all right is like, it's like you're feeling all right. I'm not feeling too good myself. So, and it really is about, so the first lines are, seems I've got to have a change of scene. Every night I have the strangest dream imprisoned by the way it could have been, you know, left here on my own or so it seems. So it's like somebody's going through a breakup here and they have, they have been separated from something that was making them feel all right. And so I think the reason they put the question mark in there is it's not like I'm not feeling all right, but it's like you feeling all right. I'm not feeling too good myself about what happened here. Right. So, um, you know, I can't get set. So I'm, I guess I'm going to have to stay until someone comes along to take my place. Um, it's, it's this whole confusion of, I know I've got to get out of here. I've got to, I've got to stop worrying about what happened and, and about what you did to me, but uh, I'm not feeling good about it yet. So, see there, there is some lyrical meaning there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always thought that was interesting. You know, it's like I'm feeling all right. I'm not feeling too good myself. You just said mm-hmm. you were feeling all right. I'm confused. No. <laughs> I'm yeah. twelve. And, but I, th- I think the I think the question mark sort of was meant to, you know, right. Right, feeling all right? No. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're feeling all right. No, well, you're right. feeling, you're feeling right. you feeling are you feeling all right? Yeah, I'm not I, feeling too good. I'm not feeling too good myself. So that that made some sense. You know, when you try to sing these songs, you especially with Joe Cocker's stuff where half the time you can't tell what he's saying and sometimes sometimes he's speaking in tongues. He really isn't saying anything that's intelligible. Um so you have to kind of come up with Okay, how do I make this make sense to myself? (laughs) Now, I should have gone through the vault and looked for this, but uh, with all the construction stuff going on, it's hard to get around down there. But um, Grand Grand Funk Railroad released this in 1971. Yes, they did. Which (laughs) may have helped prompt... uh, (laughs) The (laughs) re-release. The re-release by Joe Cocker. But um, so, and their version reaches number 54. So in 69, it reaches 69 for Cocker. In 71, it reaches 54 for Grand Funk. In 72, it reaches 33 for Cocker. This song just kept working its way up the list. And and so Grand Funk includes it on their 1971 album, Survival. And of course, uh, Mark Farner. Mark Farner. Yeah. Lead vocals and guitar, Mark Farner. And Don Brewer and, 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 and Bill uh, Schachter. Schacker, but uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I can I, I can tell you uh from a recent live uh uh Grand Funk uh performance, uh Mark Farner's not in there anymore, but Don Brewer still is. And uh here's a little shout out to Bruce Kulik from KISS has been playing guitar with them since two thousand and one. But they still do the song live, so that much I can I, I can report to you. So, Isn't that amazing? Bruce Kulik has been with them for <laughs> six, six, 16 years. That's uh, about <laughs> almost uh, well over the twice long he was with Kiss. <laughs> so. Right. 
<laughs> and people will still re- recognize him as being a former member of KISS, but... <laughs> Absolutely. It's the first thing, you know. I mean, I walk to him and, and say, hey, you know, play me a KISS lick. <laughs> now, I have... Uh, um, I have a bunch of Saturday Night Live uh, DVDs around here. And one of the most famous early Saturday Night Live appearances with uh, John Belushi imitating Joe Cocker. This is the song. It's feeling all right that he and, you know, Cocker comes out to sing and then John Belushi walks out imitating imitating everything Cocker does. And I'm really wondering what... uh, what Cocker thought about that. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm really wondering if that was rehearsed because I'm not sure if he would go for that. So I wonder if John just walked out and did that. Well, I think, I think he sort of tried to prep Cocker for it, but I don't know that Cocker was necessarily cognizant <laughs> of, of what was going to happen, what was going to go on. But, uh, but it was, it's a classic. <laughs> it's a, it's a, if you get a chance. And of course there's always YouTube. It's gotta be. Yes. <laughs> it's gotta be. Oh, and, um, you know, NBC's, you can see any episode of Saturday Night Live ever on NBC. Really? On the, Saturday, on the Saturday Night Live website, they're all there. Wow. Yep. So, trust me. There you it's go. Out, it, it's out there. You can go back and see. Right. And the, uh, Belushi and Cocker. You, you cannot listen to our, uh, you cannot listen to songs you should know on NBC, but we're working on it. <laughs> yes. Just Sponsorships. Saying. Come on now. That's right. Just saying. <laughs> We're in can, pre. We're in pre-negotiation. How's that? You can always email Jimbo at songsyoushouldknow dot com, and that should forward to me. Yes. Yep. Back to, to our show. <laughs> have to double check and see if you're the mixter or mixter. Probably mixter. Probably mixter. Years. I know. I know. I set up a, a forwarder for you too. Yes. We'll have to, pl- um, we'll have to learn. We'll have to learn how to plug that. With stuff all the too. construction, all my documents got lost. <laughs> All right, we'll be back after this short break with some trivia. Yeah! Welcome back. It is time for my favorite part of the show where I get to totally ask Mick stuff that he is not prepared for. And, Which isn't uh, very hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's the trivia portion of the show. And before we, we actually get into the trivia questions, I, I do have to point out that um, 
So in September, September 17th, 2014, which is when Joe passed away, um, Billy Joel from the stage. No, that's stated, when he didn't pay. He passed away in December 22nd. I just said in 2014 was the, the year. That's all yes. I meant. Yes. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Latella. <laughs> I cannot, okay? What's, what's the problem with national racehorses? <laughs> never, never mind. <laughs> oh. All <I> right. <laughs> All right, back on track. So Billy Joel stated that Cocker was not very well right now, and uh, he endorsed him for an induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and then he impersonated him. And this is something we have to look up and see if maybe yeah. this is out on YouTube somewhere. But uh, he did a little with a little help from my friends in the Joe Cocker style. So, and then uh, in December, as you said, December twenty second, uh, uh, Joe passed away at the age of seventy, and he had a ranch out in Crawford, Colorado. Which I didn't know. And I'm trying to think. I've seen a. Uh, I don't know if it, I saw it streaming or if it was actually just live one night or, you know, actually on TV one night. But uh, there is a special about Joe Cocker that really shows his the last period of his life where he lived out there in Colorado. So, yeah, he was a Colorado boy out on the ranch. There you go. Cowboy. But, cowboy Joe. <laughs> but he had smoked 40 cigarettes a day until 1991. So. I'm going to have to do a cough and I'll break. just, yeah. <coughs> I might have to cut that out. Okay. <coughs> there we go. And I'll, right. just, I'll just throw in one more quick thing before we go into trivia, because, I mean, you know, Joe Cocker is, <clears throat> is and was a legend, and so I, I did have the opportunity, I believe it was in 2010 or 2011, uh, he was out on tour with uh, Tom Petty in The Heartbreakers. He was the opening Act. And I got to do a show at the Gorge in Washington. Uh, and it was just, I mean, it was cool to see Joe, but it was also cooler to see all the heartbreakers side stage watching Joe Cocker. I mean, you know, he, he was their idol. <laughs> I mean, and Is it, isn't it was it, just so cool isn't it to some, see. It's something to see legends yeah. all all hyped up about their legend, you know, yeah, it's like, I mean, okay, you know, this is you, the real deal yeah, here. You, you know, you see Mike Campbell and, and, and Tom Petty standing in front of their girlfriend so they can get a, a better view of Joe. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I, I need to watch Joe right now. <laughs> Not to get anybody in trouble, but no, it, it was very, you know, it was, I mean, that's, he was that good. And, and that's, you know, it, they were fans, you, you could tell. So here we go. All right, here we go. Some uh, Joe Cocker trivia. So here we go. He was born in Sheffield, England. And uh, his parents thought he was just not like the other boys. However, <laughs> however, his parents soon realized that their son had an incredible voice. What type of work did Joe do before settling on music as his full-time career? Was he a gas fitter? A civil servant, a steel worker, or a waiter? I thought I knew this. Um, you know, old Sheffield, I'm going to have to go with, uh, he worked in a plant or something. So let's go with the, let's go with the, 
with the gas. He was a gas fitter. You're correct. Gas fitter. Here we go. Yeah, it held his interest for a limited amount of time, uh, and music is <laughs> what he wanted to do. So, all right. So, what was it that Joe told his parents when they questioned questioned him about his career change to music? He said, yeah, th- "These are long, but uh, I don't want I don't want a job where after years and years, all I get presented with is a gold watch. I want something more, something lasting." Okay, so that's the first one. The second one, I don't do dull and drudgery. I want to be a musician, and I want to be the best. Third one, I don't want a normal, everyday, and average job. I want to do something that everyone will remember. Or, mom and father, I do not do the average work well. I'm going to give it a shot in the music business. I'll go with that one. It was actually the first one. He didn't want to get the. That was my second choice. He didn't want to get the. Yeah, he, he had an interview in 1971 in Time Magazine. He basically said he wasn't in it for the gold watch. He just did not right. feel like he wanted to do that. So, okay, here's a true or false. In 1961, Joe formed the band Vance Arnold and the Avengers. False. It is false. I don't know how you knew that, but you had a 50% chance. Exactly. That's how I knew. So so in 61, he formed a band called the Cavaliers, and they changed their name to Vance Arnold and the Avengers. That's just a cheating Uh question. Yeah, that's that's just wrong. (laughs) All right. Here's another true-false. During an opening performance for the Hollies in 1963, Joe was spotted by a talent scout from Decca Records and was signed to a one-song contract to record the Beatles' hit, I'll Cry Instead. True or false? Yeah, true. Nah, it's false. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, during a... Joe was spotted... was signed to a one-song to record. It says Joe was performing with Vance Arnold and the Avengers in 1962 when he was spotted by a Decca Records agent and was signed to a one-song con. That's true. The song did not do well, blah, blah, blah. Oh, so my trivia stuff was wrong. I think he was actually signed to that contract. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to give you that one. That's going on my permanent record. All right. Um, yes or no? True or false? Yes or no? Joe's rendition of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's With a Little Help from My Friends debuted in the number one position on the U.S. music billboards in 1968. Debuted. Debuted at number one. Sure. You already know that it... It hit the same number that... No. Oh, Sixty nine. Damn. Yeah. Anyway. Um, So no. Um, And he had gone through a couple of early singles here, and it wasn't. uh, It did reach number one in the UK in '68. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It did not debut at number one anyway. Correct. All right. All right. Here's reaching back into the episode. In what year did uh, the letter become a top ten song for for Joe? Not for the box tops, for Joe. 69. That's what I said, too, but it was 70. It became oh, number it got one. later, huh? 70. Yeah. So. 
All right, all right. Gotta get this research staff to put things in a better order. <laughs> you can send your resume to Jimbo. There, at some there, will, you know. <laughs> there, there will be a meeting after this episode. Yep. Tell you. Some heads are gonna roll. <laughs> all right, name the song that these lyrics come from. Okay. There are concrete mountains in the city, and pretty city women live inside them. Oh, but yet it seems the city scene is lacking. I'm so glad you're waiting for me in the country. Now, this is a song we didn't mention, but it was a hit for him also. This was either I Shall Be Released, Bird on a Wire, Delta Lady, or Girl from the North Country. Hmm. I want to say I shall be released, but I'm going to go with Girl from the North Country. That's a Dylan song, and, and he did not, to, to my knowledge, cover that. But uh, um, anyway, no, it was Delta Lady, which was a hit oh. for Joe. Okay. Uh, he recorded it in 69. It had been recorded by Pat Travers, Rick Wakeman, James, really? Bur- James Burton, David Cassidy, and Leon, <laughs> Leon Russell. <laughs> they- They all recorded that. But anyway, um, Joe did have a hit with it. Wow. Okay, and here's here's one. This is an artist I love. Just love. Okay. Who who wrote the lyrics for Have a Little Have a Little Faith in Me? Do you know this off the top of your head or not? No, but let me let me guess. Uh, Man. Now you're gonna have to give me some. Okay, it's either, well, who wrote the lyrics? It's either Joe Cocker, right. John, John Hyatt, Paul McCartney, or Wayne Carson Thompson. You really love, well, I want to say John Hyatt. It is John Hyatt. Yay! John Hyatt, John Hyatt is the boss. He's cool. Gosh, he is something Yeah, else. he's, yeah. Yep, he, uh, he wrote a niche. He wrote it in he wrote it in eighty seven and uh, and Cocker recorded it in eighty seven. Um, Jewel did a version of this too, like in early two thousands. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, I just love that song. Love John. Love uh, John Hyatt. All right, which of these movies did Joe not record a song for? Okay, nine and a half weeks. Bull Durham. An Innocent Man or No Mercy? Bull Durham? Yeah, the only answer I have here is No Mercy, so I don't know what song was on the Bull Durham soundtrack. But uh... <laughs> We'll have to have the intern go check that out. He, he has a song on the Harry, <laughs> Harry, Harry and the Henderson soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually think I think it's at the very end. As a matter of fact, it must be. But I, I just, <laughs> I just don't remember that. Hey, I like that movie. <laughs> All right. So, uh, among many other artists, uh, Joe did a version of "Just Like a Woman," which I remember uh, Rod Stewart did a great cover of. Also, yes. Um, um, did Joe write the lyrics for that? Ooh. Yes or no? True or false? No. No. Do you know who did? Well, 
I can't go with the obvious. So apparently it wasn't Bob Dylan, which I thought it was. But It is, it is Bob Dylan. Um, okay. I said Joe well, That's what Joe I thought. <laughs> yes. You know, Joe she didn't, makes yeah. love just like nah. a woman. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you did pretty well, though. I, don't, I wasn't keeping score, and the points didn't yeah. matter anyway. I so. think it's 3,000. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you've been listening to Songs You Should Know. You can always go to songsyoushouldknow.com. You know, we talk a lot, but we have access to the same internet you do. Yes. So, um... <laughs> we, we, we just make it more interesting than Googling people. <laughs> you, just, you just get to listen to us talk about it. Yeah. Um, you know... We save like, you the effort. We save your vocal cords, basically. You, that's right, you... While you're driving right now, you didn't you didn't have to pick up your cell phone and try to go to Google, you know, try to try to no, Google because then if you did, to, and see, we right, actually right. saved you from getting pulled over. Is what we right. do. We are performing a public service we because are. we we realize that most of the time you're driving when you listen to this. <laughs> that's you're right. not all. You're not always. If if you're not, no. then you're a hardcore, and that's cool. We appreciate that. That's right. So stick your little phone up on your little holder and Bluetooth it and. <laughs> <laughs> and you can always go to songsyoushouldknow.com and contact us there. Um, you can always email me at jimbo at songsyoushouldknow.com. And you can always email the mixter. And I'm pretty sure it's mixter at songsyoushouldknow.com. I'll make sure it is. But uh, And mixter is not M-I-X. It's M-I-C-K-S-T-E-R. Although I should make, I should, I should make both of those work, right? So that way yes, people don't, because, don't uh, have to worry people don't have to worry then if they're spelling it right. That's right. I can copyright both of them, people. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Until next time. See ya.